gold standard. Welcome to the Dr. Hedberg Show for cutting-edge practical health information. For the latest articles, videos, and podcasts, visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com. The information in this show is intended for educational purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional before attempting anything recommended in this program. And now, here's Dr. Hedberg. Well, welcome everyone to Functional Medicine Research. I'm Dr. Hedberg. And today I'm going to be talking about how inflammation causes hypothyroidism. So inflammation is really at the core of pretty much all chronic illness, no matter what you have, whether it's Hashimoto's disease or hypothyroidism or arthritis, fatigue, you name it. There's going to be some level of inflammation. And there's a condition uh, called non-thyroidal illness syndrome or NTIS, This is basically a state in which inflammation causes negative changes to thyroid hormone. So if you're inflamed, you'll have lower T3 levels and you'll have increased reverse T3 levels. So T3, it's the most active form of thyroid hormone. And reverse T3 actually blocks T3 receptors. So inflammation can really knock out your thyroid function, even if your thyroid is making healthy thyroid hormone levels. And so TSH levels, thyroid stimulating hormone, those can stay relatively normal in non-thyroidal illness syndrome. And so a lot of patients are left with the symptoms of hypothyroidism, but there's no diagnosis since no one's actually checking their T3 or their reverse T3 levels. So TSH will look pretty good and T4 levels might actually look good. So everything downstream from that, though, can be out of balance. So today I'll be talking about a paper. It's called Interleukin-6 Promotes Non-Thyroidal Illness Syndrome by Blocking Thyroxin Activation While Promoting Thyroid Hormone Inactivation in Human Cells. So we'll kind of break down what that means. So normally the thyroid makes T4. And the T4 is converted into the more active form T3. So the 4 in T4 indicates that it has 4 iodine molecules. And the 3 in T3 indicates it has 3 iodine molecules. So basically, to make T3, one of the iodines on T4 is removed. And then you have T3. And there are three enzymes involved in that process. These are called deiodinases, meaning they remove iodine. And so there's three of them. So D1 converts T4 into T3. And D2 also converts T4 into T3. And they do that by removing one iodine. And then D3, the third type, this actually inactivates both T4 and T3 but also it increases reverse T3. So D1 and D2 are doing the right thing, making T3 from T4. D3, though, is the one that causes issues. And it's not a bad thing. This is an enzyme that's there uh, from an evolutionary standpoint to conserve energy when we're under stress. 
So 80% of the T3 in your body comes from D1 and D2 converting T4 into T3. So inhibition of D1 and D2 due to inflammation, that's actually the most common cause of low T3. But if you're inflamed, D3 also becomes dysfunctional. So that's an additional contributing factor of lowering T3 and increasing reverse T3. So just as an aside, let's talk about inflammation and what that actually means. It's basically an overactive immune response. And that can be acute, like you break a bone or pull, tear a muscle. You're going to have inflammation right away. Or it can be chronic, and that's just an ongoing overactive immune response. So that overactive immune response can damage tissue. It can be localized to a specific area in the body, like a joint or an organ, or it can be present throughout the entire body. That would be global inflammation. And inflammation, it can cause pretty much any symptom you can think of. Fatigue, brain fog, joint pain, digestive problems, you name it depression, anxiety. So if you have elevated C-reactive protein, that's a blood marker for inflammation. It's a very sensitive marker. That's uh, one of the main ones that I use when we do blood work on patients. And we use that. And then the complete blood count also gives me some additional indicators. And then we might also run a sedimentation rate all of those can be good markers of inflammation. So cytokines, these are chemical messengers in your body, and they communicate with the immune system, and they respond to any kind of stress. And so this paper was looking at interleukin-6 and IL-6. This is a cytokine. And so when IL-6 is elevated, that is a good indication that there is inflammation. So increased levels of IL-6 have been shown to lower T3 levels and increase reverse T3. So what's causing your inflammation? Well, there can be a lot of different causes. So let's, I'm just going to go through a list. So any kind of stress, this can be both physical or emotional stress. Infections of all types could be anything, virus, bacteria, parasite, yeast, Food sensitivities like gluten, dairy, etc. Loneliness has been shown to increase inflammation. And so you can actually be in a relationship and still feel lonely. So it's not necessarily isolation from people. You might just feel like you don't fit in with society or uh, the people that you're with. Or there might be distance between you and your partner, all of that can create loneliness. And that's actually been shown to increase inflammation. Social isolation makes you more inflamed. And interestingly, if you have a, if you don't have a meaningful purpose in life, you'll be more inflamed. That's always been really fascinating to me. And the research is, is fairly clear on that. Lack of sleep, lack of exercise or excessive exercise makes you more inflamed relationship conflicts especially women women become more inflamed 
when there's relationship conflicts or disruption in the family unit, gut dysbiosis, dental infections, autoimmunity, a lack of physical affection can make you more inflamed. And then, of course, any kind of environmental toxin, whether it's a metal, chemical, anything in the air, in the environment. So many, many things here can create inflammation. And a lot of these are overlooked, usually. Some of them are going to be very obvious, like uh, if you have a significant gluten sensitivity, that'll be obvious. If you have an infection, that's kind of obvious. If you're not getting enough sleep, that's obvious. But a lot of these, some of these other ones might be overlooked, like the meaningful purpose in life, the loneliness, the social isolation, things like that. These have to be met head on if uh, you are inflamed and chronically ill and you're trying to get better. And a lot of practitioners aren't really talking to patients about these. They're mainly focused on the biochemistry, you know, what's going on with the gut and the hormones and the supplements and diet and things like that. But there has to be a discussion about these other aspects that I mentioned. So let's get into the study. Basically, the authors subjected human cells to the inflammatory cytokine IL-6, and they found that both D1 and D2 activity decreased. So you had a decrease in T3 and an increase in reverse T3 just by exposing the cells to this inflammatory cytokine. On top of that, D3 activity increased. And remember, D3 lowers T3 and increases reverse T3. So it hit all three enzymes in a negative way. So the authors said it's very clear that inflammation significantly disrupts thyroid hormone. And so this means, like I said earlier, your thyroid may be producing normal amounts of thyroid hormone but once it leaves the thyroid to the other tissues of the body, it's supposed to be converted into T3 in the uh, liver and the kidneys, a little bit in the lungs, and of course, a significant amount in the gut, and then actually some in the muscle tissue. Uh, once it's out there, out of the thyroid, it's not being converted properly if you're inflamed. I'd like to take a quick moment to make you aware of some important resources that are available to you. The first is to make you aware that I not only see patients in my practice in Asheville, North Carolina, but I also have a virtual practice where I consult with patients worldwide through telehealth. So it doesn't matter where you live in the world, we could consult through our telehealth software. The second resource is the resources page on my website where I list all of the supplements and products I use both personally and in my practice. This can be found at drhedberg.com forward slash resources. And the third resource is for healthcare practitioners who want to learn functional medicine or improve their functional medicine skills. I offer online functional medicine courses at the Hedberg Institute, which is my online functional medicine education platform. You can see all the courses I offer at hedberginstitute.com and sign up to watch a sample course video at no charge. That's hedberginstitute.com. And now back to the show.
Now, this was a really interesting study because they also studied N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, and they found that NAC actually blocked all of these negative effects of interleukin-6. So it prevented the drop in T3, and it prevented the increase in reverse T3. So N-acetylcysteine, it increases glutathione levels, and glutathione levels are depleted in inflammation. So glutathione, it's our most abundant antioxidant in our body. It's very important in detoxification, and it's abundant inside of each cell along with vitamin C. But you need good glutathione levels for proper D1, D2, and D3 function. And they found in the study that using NAC or NAC normalized these levels and prevented the negative effects of inflammation. So I use NAC quite a bit in my patients with Hashimoto's disease and hypothyroidism because it doesn't just help with proper T4 to T3 conversion. It's also a good anti-inflammatory. It helps to balance the immune system. Most practitioners use it in autoimmunity and also in gut disorders. And it's great for chronic infections like Epstein-Barr virus. Works well for that. And it's also effective against H. pylori. And so I've written and talked about this before, the connection between H. pylori and Hashimoto's disease and hypothyroidism. And NAC works very well to suppress the growth of H. pylori. So I like the, it's a 700 milligram capsule NAC from Moss Nutrition. And I'll use one capsule once or twice a day with food in my patients with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's disease. Now, some people have a bad reaction to NAC because it is a sulfur-containing compound. So if you've had issues with sulfur in the past, it might not work well for you. Also, if the gut microbiota is out of balance, some people will have a reaction to the NAC in their gut. So it's actually a good diagnostic supplement to take to tell you if there's still issues in the gut that haven't really been addressed. NAC is also going to enhance detoxification, and that might not be the right thing at the right time for some people. So it's not something that you want to uh, play around with unless you're under doctor's supervision. Uh, That's something to be very aware of. And the other thing is that NAC... It increases your body's excretion of zinc. So you can deplete your body of zinc if you take a lot of NAC for a long time. So once again, you need to monitor your zinc levels either through blood or through the zinc taste test. So let's talk about a few other strategies to increase your glutathione levels, which is going to help you if you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. Number one, you can eat plenty of sulfur-rich foods. So these are things like meat, fish, eggs, onions, and garlic. And then cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, kale, mustard greens, watercress. Those 
are all rich in sulfur, and that will help you make glutathione. The key is the amino acid cysteine, which uh, contains sulfur and makes glutathione. Number two, avoid drinking alcohol because alcohol depletes your body of glutathione. Optimize your sleep. Minimum seven hours. Seven to nine hours in that range is ideal. Exercise increases glutathione, but if you overdo it, you'll actually deplete your body of glutathione. Number five, increase your vitamin C intake. Eat plenty of fruits and vegetables, or you can supplement with 500 to 1,000 milligrams a day of vitamin C. Number six, you can eat selenium-rich foods. Selenium is important for glutathione production. And so these are foods like beef, chicken, fish, organ meats, cottage cheese, brown rice, and Brazil nuts. Those are all rich in selenium. I don't recommend Brazil nuts, though, because of the highly variable content in selenium. So if you're going to have Brazil nuts, just eat them once a week, not more than that. Number seven, whey protein will increase glutathione. I like a product called Select Whey from Moss Nutrition. It's available unflavored or in a vanilla flavor. So whey protein is rich in the the amino acid cysteine, which makes glutathione. Number eight, you can use turmeric, the spice in your cooking, or you can take curcumin. I like a product called Curcu Select from Moss Nutrition. This has the patented Mariva curcumin, and that's for the best absorption since curcumin isn't absorbed very well. This has a few other compounds in it that improves the absorption. And then lastly, number nine, a milk thistle supplement has been shown to boost glutathione levels. So that's another thing you can you can do to enhance your glutathione. You'll mainly be able to maintain healthy glutathione levels if you're just eating the right diet and getting plenty of protein and eating a number of the foods that I mentioned above. But if you're really sick, really ill, if your thyroid's out of balance, if you have Hashimoto's and things aren't turning around, then you may want to try some of these supplements And like I said, N-acetylcysteine is usually my go-to. And then, of course, there are some companies that make just straight glutathione supplements that you can take as well. Uh, But any of the above that I mentioned will improve glutathione levels. So, really just to put all this together... It's clear that inflammation disrupts healthy thyroid hormone levels. So the real key here is to find out the source of your inflammation and addressing that. And if you go to drhedberg.com and you read the article, I have everything I talked about listed here. So you'll want to review that list of the sources of inflammation and make sure there's nothing there that's being overlooked And make sure you're working with a functional medicine practitioner who's going to adequately investigate each potential source of inflammation. So, for example, 
If you do have a chronic infection like Epstein-Barr virus, then you need the right healing plan for that to get it under control. Or if your gut is out of balance, you need a good plan for optimal gut health. So you can immediately begin some of the strategies that I mentioned uh, to improve glutathione, mainly regarding the dietary recommendations, and that may help get things in balance for you and get your T3 and reverse T3 levels in better balance. So your thyroid issue, it may just simply be an undiagnosed source of inflammation that that uh, has been overlooked. So it's worth doing that thorough investigation uh, to find out why it could be out of balance. So a great study. It's a free paper, and I've linked to it uh, in the article if you want to check that out. But it is very clear that inflammation disrupts your thyroid and we know pretty much why that is uh, because of interleukin-6, the inflammatory cytokine. So if you go to drhedberg.com and just search for inflammation and hypothyroidism, this article will come up and I'll have links to everything that I mentioned in this show. So take care, everyone. This is Dr. Hedberg, and I will talk to you next time. If you enjoy The Dr. Hedberg Show, you can support it by sharing each episode on your social media channels, like Facebook, and by leaving a review on iTunes. Please visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com to access the show notes and resources for today's episode. 